This is the Turn on the Jets podcast. I don't have to convince any one of those eight defensive coaches how effed up I am. These players, they want to defend MetLife Stadium for you guys. Here's your host, Joe Caparoso. Welcome to the Turn on the Jets podcast. I am not Joe Caparoso. This is Scott Mason, host of the Play Like a Jet podcast, which, by the way, you can listen to anywhere where you download your podcast, whether that's Google Play, Apple, any other platform where you get your podcast seven days a week of Jets content on Play Like a Jet because I hate myself that much. <laughs> But you're not hearing my voice in place of Joe's. You're going to hear Joe and Connor Rogers this week on the Play Like a Jet podcast. I'm just here to explain to you exactly what you're going to hear. So in case you're unaware, Joe and Connor do a subscription-only podcast called Badlands, which you can subscribe to on Podbean. You can also get the links on Joe's Twitter, at Jay Caparoso, or Connor's Twitter, at Connor J. Rogers. Now... If you are a subscriber, then you probably heard the most recent episode of Badlands. But if you aren't, you're in for a real treat today because we've decided to let you listen to the first 25 minutes of an hour plus episode that Joe and Connor just did this past week on Badlands, going through all the key storylines and the narratives that everybody should be expecting around the Jets in 2020 including a lot of exclusive information that connor has been saving to drop on this episode so you're going to get a free preview of the badlands show if you like what you hear you should absolutely go over to podbean immediately and subscribe again the links are also up at Jay Caparoso and at connor j rogers on twitter i think you're really going to like what you hear and with that in mind let's turn it over to joe and connor what is the first storyline that comes to mind for you when we're talking about the 2020 New York Jets and what's going to surround the chatter around this team this year? Well, I have to start with the obvious one because you, you did frame it. You know, what's the first one? And it's the one I'm I'm starting to get bored of talking about, but we need to discuss it. And it's what kind of quarterback does Sam Darnold become? And I wrote down three different descriptions. One, a hero, which you see guys like, Pat Mahomes, I think of Russell Wilson on a lot of those Seattle teams, uh, Aaron Rodgers at times, not last year, but at times, and there's a, there's a couple quarterbacks around the league, but not many that can be heroes, that can play hero ball, that can, you know, escape the rush and keep, you know, keep a play alive and push the ball down the field. Deshaun Watson is actually a great example of a hero at the position, him, Russ, Mahomes, Rodgers. I think of guys like that, and I think while he doesn't play outside of structure often, I think Brady has played a lot of hero ball in terms of just executing flawlessly in crunch time, so that's a different kind of hero. The second one I wrote down is is system, question mark. Basically, a guy that can be put in a system that is adequate and efficient, not what we saw from Adam Gase last year. Hopefully, we see this, you know, this upcoming season, but a guy that can play at a high level in a system – uh, run it efficiently. I think we saw it not really last year, but two years ago, Jared Goff was a really, really good example, a guy that was executing at uh, a high level in a system that really favored all of his skill sets and was quarterback friendly. I think that's a really, really good example. I think, you know, Drew Brees is better than a system quarterback, but Drew Brees is an example of a guy that is in a flawless system for what he does best, and then he takes it and elevates it. So, can Darnold be a guy that, and even the jump we saw, and I didn't think he was great last year by any stretch of the means, but he was 
better or improved was Josh Allen. I thought Brian Dable did a great job building a system for him, and obviously Lamar Jackson flourishing as well. And then the third one I wrote, or holding the team back, question mark. Now, what I mean by that is, you know, a guy that can can really or is losing you football games. And I don't. I think Darnold has had games like that. I also think Darnold hasn't had a ton of games like that, where you look at his really bad games and you're like, man, everything around him was atrocious. There aren't a lot of times where Darnold goes out and it's just like, man, he is single-handedly blowing them this game. So I think those are three things I'm curious to watch with Darnold. And at a minimum, you'd like to see him be a guy that is in a system that he can execute and function pretty highly and go out and, and put up, you know, significantly better numbers in a jump from year two to year three. A hundred percent. I think he is the most important player in the organization and assessing where he is after this third year and what kind of contract he is going to be looking at potentially uh, is going to be one of the biggest decisions this franchise has faced in a long time. And I think it's interesting to see the discourse among Jet fans and then also the discourse among people who aren't Jet fans uh, around Darnold. I think most Jet fans, understandably, are very defensive and very bullish about Darnold long-term. And I'm generally in that camp. I think Darnold will be a second contract quarterback here. I think talent-wise, he can be a very good to great starter. I'd love to see him with a better supporting cast. I'd love to see him with a better coaching staff. And I think the Jets should be really patient with him due to his age and due to the situations he's been playing in. It's interesting to just from a statistical standpoint, try to drill down what is the kind of leap he needs to make next year. I think most people want to see him get up around 30 touchdowns, which is still, you know, a tough benchmark to hit, but with the league opening up a little bit should be something that he should be getting in the ballpark of if he's going to play 16 games, which is another thing. I think a lot of us want to see him accomplish, which he hasn't done in his first two years. I want to see that yards per attempt up in the mid sevens, no more, you know, 6.8, 6.9. He's always going to be a guy who's going to have some turnovers. I don't think he's ever going to be a guy who has six, seven turnovers in a season. You could deal with the 10 to 13 turnovers in a season. If he's going to throw 27 to 32 touchdowns and have a YPA uh, that is up there somewhere in the sevens. So those are all, you know, numbers that, I think a lot of us are going to be keeping an eye on. I think fairly it's going to be disappointing if he goes out and it's, and again, some of this may end up being a factor of the kind of offense they run Adam Gase, but if he's, you know, 21 touchdowns, 14 interceptions, a couple lost fumbles, you know, a YPA 6.97, he's only throwing for, you know, 218 yards a game. Uh, I think Jet fans, from a talent perspective, think he can be capable of more than that. The question is going to be, can he reach that level? Can he play better in the AFC East? Because his numbers in the AFC East, his splits are are really bad. And they're not just all a factor of the ghost game against New England. He's had a couple really rough games in the division, going back to Miami as a rookie, going back to the first Miami game last year. Uh, Even statistically, he's been uh, up and down against Buffalo. So I would love to see him and I know this is a little more qualitative, but go out and play really well in your divisional games. Go beat New England or play really well against that defense a couple times rather than struggle uh, with them, which he has both times he's played against them so far in his career. The volatility of Darnold's production 
has led to sort of an interesting range of opinions on him. We were talking before we came on, and I tweeted about this this week. You know, there's an article from Chris Trapazzo, fan of the site, fan of the pod. You know, I'm a fan of his work, where he ranks uh, the NFL draft classes 2018 to 2021, so it includes some prospects going forward, uh, and who he'd want to have going forward. And, And this list, is particularly harsh on Darnold. And to be fair to Chris, he was not a big fan of Darnold coming out of USC, at least not as big as most of us were. Lamar Jackson, one, Trevor Lawrence, two, Joe Burrow, three, Justin Fields, four, two of five, Josh Allen, six, Kyler Murray, seven, Baker, eight, Drew Locke, nine, Herbert, 10, Darnold, 11, uh, Daniel Jones, 12, Haskins, 13, Jordan Love, 14, Josh Rosen, 15. Now, at first glance through that list, I feel like Darnold's probably more in that five to eight range, depending on, you know, how you feel about him compared to Josh Allen, Kyler, and Baker Mayfield. I think that's where you see the biggest variance of opinion. Uh, I think that's this is probably too much of an optimistic projection forward for Locke, although it's too early. There's not enough of a sample size to know. On the other end of the spectrum, you listen to guys like Dan Roblowski or Todd McShay, they would tell you that Darnold could very well be the best quarterback of this entire list, including guys like Burrow and including guys like Tua and guys like Kyler, who's coming off winning, you know, offensive rookie of the year. So I don't know if I'm, you know, quite all the way of putting him at number one on this list, but I think he would definitely be higher. And again, I think just because Connor and I are, I think pragmatic about the situation with the coaching staff, does not mean that we are not bullish on Sam Donald, both in the short and long term. Looking at that sort of list, where do you think he fits in from your perspective? For me, it, it kind of feels more like in that five to seven range. I know a lot of people have given up on, you know, Baker already, which seems a little premature to me. But where does Donald kind of fit, you know, from your perspective around a guy like Burrow and Fields and Lawrence and Tua and some of the other names in this list? I'm with you, Joe. I would have him higher than that. Now, looking at how I evaluated Darnold that year, I had Rosen, Baker, and Lamar Jackson ahead of him. So I think it's fair to say, and I still had Darnold in you know the top 25 players or whatever it was and saw the talent, but I think I evaluated, I was, I guess, somewhat lower than the consensus on him. And I still disagree with this list. I actually think that, one, I I like Darnold a lot more than Justin Herbert and a lot more than Drew Locke. Now, Locke is set up for success this year, just loaded with playmakers in that Broncos offense. We'll see how the line plays, but we're going to find out a lot about him very, very quickly as he gets a a full season as the starter there in Denver. But I would still put Darnold ahead of Drew Locke. Now, and the Justin Herbert thing is not even a conversation for me. Now, Baker, I thought, was really bad last year after a pretty impressive rookie season. I would really consider Baker and Darnold kind of side-by-side. I would have Kyler Murray ahead of them. Josh Allen at six on this list is a little mind-blowing to me. And and to each their own. I'm not going to sit here and just crap on somebody's quarterback opinions. When I would do a list like this, I would do it as, sure, you have to do some projecting, right? Because Drew Locke has played only a handful of games. Justin Herbert, you know, you're going to base on your evaluation of him as a prospect because he hasn't played in the NFL. And the same could be said for guys ahead of him on this list, like Burrow, you know, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, all of those things. Tua, a lot of guys on this list haven't even played a game in the NFL. So it's a tough assignment, number one, that Chris had had to do here from CBS. That's a tough assignment. 
with Josh Allen, I still haven't seen a ton, to be honest with you. I think the running is great, something that Darnold needs to do more of, something he got away from his second year. He, he needs to run more. He needs to threaten with his legs more, not as much as Allen does. But I think as a thrower, I, I, I this is a little high for Allen. So I think Darnold, Allen, and Baker, in my honest opinion, are are, are all still grouped together. They're all r- tied for me. And then I would have somebody like Kyler ahead of them. It's interesting. I, I mean, Trevor Lawrence, obviously, phenomenal. A lot of excitement around him. Same could be said for Justin Fields, although both of them still have growing pains they're working through as young passers so it's a really interesting exercise but I am higher on Darnold just like you Joe on this list and once again I think the most frustrating thing about it is you know how much are we going to be able to evaluate him this year sure right away we get to see him against the Bills so it goes right to your point of needing to play at a higher level in division games I completely agree with that but just what Adam Gase are we going to get this year and what are we going to see from the wide receivers? You know, Brashad Perriman, is Chris Herndon going to stay healthy? Some of these storylines on offense we're going to talk about on the show. I think we could really just jump into it right now, breaking away from the Darnold conversation, because number two on my list of of these five storylines, and the only other one that has to do with the offense, I wrote down the fate of the offense could be in Chris Herndon's hands, or, or the health of Chris Herndon. I think when you look at this, you know, they're, let's be let's call it what it is. They are very shorthanded at wide receiver right now. I mean, number one, Jamison Crowder is, was very good in the slot. That's great. Hopefully he stays healthy this year. He, you know what you're getting out of him. Definitely an upper-tier slot guy in, in my eyes. Brashad Perriman, I am very uh, much more on the pessimistic side than the crowd that is on the his five really good games with the Bucks side. We'll see where that goes. I don't think he's just ready to come in and replace Robbie Anderson. And as much as I love Denzel Mims, I think it's kind of tough to ask a rookie wide receiver taken in the second round of the draft, towards the end of the second round of the draft, to come in and be your number one outside target. So this all comes back to, can Chris Herndon be a top 10 tight end in the NFL? When healthy, I think he can. You look at the chemistry these two had, Darnold and Herndon, when Herndon, when they were both rookies, really, really good stuff, especially in the middle of the field, especially on plays that were extended by Darnold, you know, really on routes that were completely broken, whether they turn into option routes, whether they're Herndon simply working back to the ball or away from the quarterback. So I think the other storyline on offense is, you know, and people are going to say, how do you not talk about the rebuilt line? Well, We've talked a lot about that. I think it can be an average unit, and if it's an average unit, that's enough where we can see more out of Darnold in the run game. But if Chris Herndon is in this offense, we have seen a much, much better version of Sam Darnold. Just go back to the the game against Green Bay's rookie season if you want to know what I'm talking about when Chris Herndon is on the field. Yeah, Herndon was such an exciting player in that 2008 season, and I think you know I did some exercise after that year, ranking the most valuable players on the Jets roster going forward. And Herndon was way, way up on that list because of the importance in the importance of tight end in today's NFL and the versatility that he brings. He is someone who is basically a wide receiver playing tight end, but also holds up pretty well as a blocker, which is a nice element of his game and an element the Jets missed a lot last year 
looking at how sloppy they were up front blocking. He has the talent uh, and ability to work off Darnold's improvisational skills to be, you know, almost a lead receiving weapon on this team. Your leading receiver does not need to be a wide receiver in today's NFL. Go look at the list of the handful of players who went over a thousand yards last year receiving. And there's a, there's not that many and B a big chunk of them are tight ends, which is not the situation of what this league was, you know, 15, you know, 20 years ago. Herndon, if healthy and playing 16 games and being the guy he was down the stretch in 2018, could very well lead the Jets in receiving yards. That's how comfortable him and Darnold look. And him out there, along with Le'Veon Bell being used right, potentially really mitigates some of your problems potentially at receiver. Because I do think there will be some problems there, but less so if Herndon could go out and catch 65 passes for 750 yards for you and Le'Veon Bell is used down the field a little more in more of a dynamic way rather than just the four-yard check down on third and 12 that they did 6,000 times last year. You know, I think Mims, I love everything about that pick. I think he's going to be the power forward they need out there for a long term. But this year, I think there's going to be some bumps. I mean, it's going to be tough with this type of offseason to go out and be, you know, a guy who goes out and has – a ton of yards and gets a ton of targets. Perryman's a huge question mark. We have no idea what we're going to get from him. And Crowder, you know, is reliable if healthy in the slot, but there's a, there's a ceiling to the type of game that he had. So Herndon, if Herndon's healthy, their offense is a lot more dynamic. Uh, and it's just been so long, you know, he missed the full season. So, you know, seeing him back out there, he could really be a game changer for them and be a key player. And if this Jets team is going to compete for the playoffs, they need to move from 32nd on offense to somewhere in the 13 to 16 range. A healthy Chris Herndon makes that it's still difficult, but it makes, there's a path to it. If Chris Herndon's healthy for 16 games and, you know, he looked like a potential future pro ball tight end in 2018. I don't say that lightly. I'm not big in doing the hyperbole with jets mid round picks, but I think there's something there with it. Uh, Yeah, completely. I, I mean, he was somebody at Miami that when you, when you watched him play, you know, there were flashes in an offense that really did not have much at the quarterback position in college and, and somebody that can can be a big piece of this this offense for the Jets. And a, a team that, while, you know, I'm guilty of complaining about the lack of wide receivers that can contribute right away, I think by committee this offense can function because you have Mims that can really contribute in the red zone instantly. You know what Crowder can do from the slot in the middle of the field – you know, Perriman can stretch the field. And then you look at them running, you know, 12 personnel, 22, even 13, with multiple tight ends on the field. With, you know, Ryan Griffin coming back from injury, that that's something I'm a little concerned about because it was a very significant injury. But Herndon needs to be ready to go. You know, you need Wesco to contribute as a blocker. They're, they're going to have to get very creative, but there's a way it can work while not just being a traditional offense of, of running these four wide receiver sets all the time. And one name I wouldn't sleep on is Braxton Berrios. I think he's somebody that will be involved. I think, you know, something I've been pleading for is that when they go with four wide receiver sets and five wide receiver sets, I would play Le'Veon Bell in the slot with Jamison Crowder in the slot as well. But I think we'll see Berrios get opportunities like that as well. So, we're going to talk about the offense a lot on this show, not this episode episode specifically going forward, but on this show this summer. 
Uh, those are the two biggest things that stand out to me. Now, as we transition to the defensive side, the number one thing I have circled is, will Quinn and Williams become a star? Now, does he need to do that year two? No. But he needs to make a jump in year two. And to kind of outline why you shouldn't be overly concerned about his, I would say, non-impactful rookie season is I I went through a ton of defensive linemen taken, you know, could be taken early or top three rounds, first two first rounders and a third rounder here that did make some jumps. And a lot of guys that I went through just simply did not. It's amazing the miss rate on guys like that. But the first one was Larry Ogunjobi on the Browns, non-factor year one, and then five and a half sacks each of the next two seasons. The next one, Kenny Clark, first rounder, non-factor year one, four sacks, six sacks, six sacks the following three seasons, and a very impactful player, a disruptive player. Now, the last one, the best of the bunch by far, which I found extremely interesting because this is what you would want Quinn and Williams to become, is Chris Jones on the Kansas City Chiefs, non-factor year one, six and a half sacks, 15 and a half sacks, nine sacks, following three seasons, and he missed some games last year. So if he didn't miss that time, he would have had double-digit sacks back-to-back years, He's probably going to get paid $20 million a year pretty soon, whether that's with the Chiefs or not. We'll see. But, Joe, the thing we have to be talking about, because it'll take pressure off the corners, it'll make a what I think is a, a really good front seven or a good front seven into a really good one. Quinn and Williams making a jump into not just a solid run defender, but a guy that consistently disrupts from the interior. Yeah, look, the the third overall pick in the draft, and there's some serious expectations that go with that. There were people who said this was a better prospect than Nick Bosa, who absolutely wreaked havoc on the NFL last year and at times was the best player on the field. At times, obviously, Mahomes is the best overall player, but at times was the best overall player on the field in the freaking Super Bowl as a rookie. You know, and Quentin Williams, you know, had a couple nice moments, but looked, I don't know. He had a tough time adjusting to the pro game at times. We know he was banged up a little bit. The hope is in this offseason, he puts on a little more strength. He's going to take that experience and evolve and become a better player. There's no reason to expect that he can't do that. The question is going to become, what kind of ceiling is there? Jet fans talked a lot about Aaron Donald. There's only one Aaron Donald. That's an unfair you know, barometer to hold up anyone to, I think. You know, there was a lot of, is it Quentin Williams? Is it Josh Allen? Josh Allen goes out and has double-digit sacks as a rookie on a pretty bad team, but still gets that done. And that's something that's going to be held up a lot uh, over these next few years if Allen keeps producing at that level. So, look, is Quentin Williams going to go out and get 10 sacks uh, next year? No. And I don't know if he necessarily has to do that to make the leap we're talking about. He just needs to be a factor in pushing the pocket. He needs to, to get up, I think, somewhere in that six to seven eight sack range show that he could finish at the point of attack. Unlike Leonard Williams, who never seems to be able to do that. The jets don't need another guy who is just really good against the run and has a lot of hidden production. We've seen that movie. I don't know, a thousand times at this point, I can't have that conversation anymore about interior defensive linemen and hidden production. He was the third overall pick in the draft. They drafted him to be a wrecking ball in the middle of their defense and to be one of the best players out there. And, uh, is he going to do the jump that Jamal Adams did from year one to year two? Probably not. But if he could become one of the better uh, interior defensive linemen in the NFL and show potential to really become a star in year three, this Jets defense is going to be that much better. And I, I know the 
general assumption is the Jets had a top 10 defense last year with all these players missing. So they're going to get C.J. Mosley, Avery Williamson back. They added Pierre Desir. They added Bryce Hall. Uh, they added Ashton Davis. Logically, they should potentially jump up to being a top five defense. Of course, we know it's not that easy. The schedule is going to be more difficult. Uh, there's going to be better quarterbacks that they're going to play. Uh, if Quentin Williams does make that kind of jump, though, then that might not be that crazy of a thing. This really could be a top 10 defense back-to-back years. And if they could beat up on some of the weaker quarterbacks on their schedule when they do get them, uh, it's going to be interesting to see exactly what the ceiling is because Steve McClendon up there is terrific. We know what we're getting out of him. Uh, has sort of that two-down nose tackle. He put Quentin Williams around him, allows Henry Anderson to be more of a role player along with Nathan Shepard, uh, Foley Thalikasi, and Kyle Phillips. That's a really nice front. And then behind them, you're going to have Mosley and Williamson, which is one of the better, if not best, inside linebacker duos in the NFL if they're both healthy. You know what Jamal Adams could do roaming around. The corner situation is okay. It's not great, but it's not awful either. There's a lot of guys in that room who could compete for reps. And Greg Williams was great last year. And if he could repeat that performance, this could be a very good defense. And we're used to the Jets having a very good defense and a shaky offense. And that could be a path to them winning eight or nine games this year. And Quinn Williams is a big part of that. Again, third overall pick in the draft. This is not a guy who was taken uh, in the, you know, in the twenties. This is a guy who I certainly hope is going to be a lot better than Leonard Williams long-term and over the course of his rookie contract. And we're going to find out a lot about that this year. And there you have it, a 20-plus minute preview of what you're going to get on a weekly basis with Joe and Connor if you subscribe to Badlands, which you can do right now at Podbean or at Jay Caparoso and at Connor J. Rogers on Twitter where you can grab the links. I will tell you, it's not just Joe and Connor talking a lot of weeks. They'll have special guests on. In fact, they had C.J. Mosley, the Jets star linebacker, on as one of their special guests throughout the course of time. That the podcast has been going on And by the way you also get The 10 part docu-series About how the Jets went into the wilderness In the last 10 years And how they can help get themselves out of it With a wide variety of fascinating guests So if you haven't subscribed yet Go over to Podbean Go to Joe's Twitter at Jay Caparoso Or go to Connor's Twitter At Connor J. Rogers If you haven't given this show, the Turn on the Jets podcast, a five-star review yet, if you could go ahead and do that, that would be awesome. If you want to give my show, Play Like a Jet, a five-star review on iTunes too, that would be fantastic as well. Remember, it's an easy way to help out these shows if you like what we're doing. It doesn't cost you any money. It doesn't take you much time, but it goes a long way to help us out. So if you could do that for us, we would greatly appreciate it. And remember, for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcast, that includes the Turn on the Jets podcast and Play Like a Jet. There's only one place to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.